Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, August 10th, 2016. Light episode today. Last-minute prep for the uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Turning out to be a busy week. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically and help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to, whoa, slow down, open up God's Word, and compare what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophets, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to and whose books we need to be buying and whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God to see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says or to see if they're actually teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. And over and again, yeah, it's the second one. So... Today, uh, busy day, uh, light episode today, I'll be playing the second of my two lectures from last year's Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Uh, the topic is Coram Mundo, in, you know, before the world, and uh, why don't we just go ahead and get right to it. Here we go. So our final lecture, as we talk about Coram Deo, Coram Mundo, today we're talking about Coram Mundo. Yesterday, we, uh, I talked about the issue of dealing with same-sex marriage and gender identity, and we talked about it Coram Deo. took a look at the creation. We took a look at the important words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, and were some of you, but you were washed. Looked about the implications of that, cross-reference it with Romans chapter 6. And today we're going to talk about now how do we discuss these things in a Christian way. And I'm going to make a claim that's going to sound, well, maybe a little bit off. But I think what I'm saying is correct. Oftentimes when we talk about what do we need to do in order to communicate about these issues, and we're talking about sin, so let's stop talking about just same-sex issues here. Let's talk about sin in a broad category. You know, How do we communicate to our neighbors who are not saved, who are not believers? How do we communicate these things to them in a Christian way? And many of the answers given by people pretty much are answers that I think are designed to answer the question in such a way that the idea is, I want to learn how to speak the truth of Christ, of sin and grace, 
And I want to be able to speak it in a way without having to suffer for it. So if that's the answer you're looking for, how do I speak these things in a way without losing friends, family, losing my job, without being persecuted? I have no answer for you there. We're called to take up our cross. We're to preach the truth even if it means our own demise. There's a way to do this. So we're going to talk about this in a Christian way. So I'm not going to give the answer. Here's the whimsical way to do it. Do it with a smile. Be, you know, do it with authenticity. And maybe if you use this strategy, you can put some sugar on the pill. It's not how we're going to do this. Then let me first tell you a story. So we're going to talk today about eschatological truth-telling, and I'm not talking about the rapture. To kind of set this up, I want to tell you a story. Years ago, I used to work for a company in San Juan Capistrano, California. And if you're familiar with uh, Southern California, then you know where San Juan Capistrano is. It's right next to San Clemente. Pastor Rodi, I think, lives in San Juan Capistrano. It's about 10 degrees warmer inland there than it is on the coast. But the problem was, I lived in a place called Horse Thief Canyon. Horse Thief Canyon is the southernmost part of the city of Corona, right on the border of Corona and Lake Elsinore. Now, if you know anything about that, those two cities, well, there's this mountain range between San Juan Capistrano and Corona, and that's called the Saddleback Mountain Range. And there's this wonderful little highway called the Ortega Highway that separates the two. And so I would commute every day into work on the Ortega Highway, which, after I started commuting, my mother informed me was one of the most dangerous roads in America. And no sooner did she inform me of that that I began to see why it was considered one of the most dangerous roads in America, because, as I learned, people were dying to get to work. And what I mean by that is, is that, well, the Ortega Highway has blind curves. And of course, just like any other highway that's a single-lane highway where there's blind curves, they have a solid yellow stripe. It's not broken up, it's solid, which is kind of clue you into the fact that you need to stay in your lane. Well, I quickly learned how to survive on the Ortega Highway, and that is, is that I would always bunch up. I would get behind other people, and I'd never be the lead car. Because the people who were dying to get to work or dying to get home, they'd always take out the lead car. So call me a coward, if you would. But the idea was is that I'd be like car number three, car number four, and you'd stay in your group, and you'd just turn on your favorite music, listen to the Bible on tape or whatever, and take your time. You're going to get in when you get in. Well, shortly after I began working in San Juan Capistrano, California, I was in one of these groups, and the lady who was a few cars back of us, she was in a Chevy S10 pickup, I remember it. It was kind of that aqua teal green kind of thing. And uh, I'm not sure if that was Smurf green or what that was. But she was dying to get to work. Found out later, by the way, she worked as a nurse at uh, one of the hospitals in uh, Mission Viejo. But uh, she was in a hurry to get to work, and so she made a decision. The decision that she made was that as we were going around one of the blind curves, and we were almost into San Juan, this is like one of the last blind curves that you have to go around, she decided that she needed to get ahead of some people. So she came out of her lane, and she gunned it. 
And so as she's going around the corner, she passes the car behind me, she passes me, she passes the car in front of me, she passes the car in front of me, and the car in front of that person. But as we were going around the corner, there was a cement truck. She hit the cement truck. She did not survive the experience. That was one of the most sickening things I've ever seen and heard in my life. The cement truck driver, by the way, he stood on his brakes, lost control after the head-on collision, and ended up in a ditch. We knew she wasn't going to be okay, but we all ran to see if he was going to be all right. And he had so much blood coming out of his nose and his mouth and everything that it was like a beard. It was just terrible. Now, all of this is to kind of make a point, and that is, if you know what's coming around the corner, you can navigate safely, right? So the idea is, is that I want to give you a way of Christian truth-telling that is similar to what Pastor Wolfmuller was talking about, giving you a vision of what's to come. Because when you're grounded eschatologically, you know what's coming around the corner, it's not a blind curve for you. And it gives you an anchor point for speaking the truth. And it gives you an anchor point for speaking the truth in a way that you're even willing to suffer for, for telling the truth. Does that make sense? So we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Revelation. And there's a great quote from Albert Muller. I'm going to paraphrase it from very recently. He says, We Christians do not strive to be on the right side of history. We strive to be on the right side of eschatology. So all these people right now who are talking about same-sex marriage and transgenderism and saying that we're on the wrong side of history, they're wrong. We need to be on the right side of eschatology. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, verse 11, and him who was seated on it, that would be Jesus, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. I saw the dead, great, small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what, what, what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. That's good to know. Real quick aside, I have people come to me and say, well, pastor, what about the people who are cremated? Can I be cremated as a Christian? Is it a sin? Will I be resurrected? Well, last time I checked, this text talks about the sea giving up its dead. Now, I don't know if you know anything about people who perish at sea. They have a tendency to become fish food, oftentimes for more than one fish. So God, on the great day of his return, Christ's return, even the dead will be reconstituted. How? I don't know. God is God and he do what he wants to do, right? So they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, they were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Pay attention to this. Not your first death that you need to worry about. It's that second death you need to worry about. The second death is being thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is law, by the way. The end of the law, in a sense, for people. Remember when Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus? What's the name of the rich man? 
Oh yeah, he didn't have one, did he? But Lazarus had a name. Right? This is the reason why. That rich man who feasted sumptuously, thought only about himself, he didn't listen to the prophets and to Moses, he dies and he goes to hell. He has no name. What a terrible thing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Here's the part that's important for us. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. No more chaos. She is a representation of chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We're going to see God. There's no separation anymore. We're going to see Him. We're going to live in His holy city. He's going to make His dwelling place among us. We're not climbing the ladder to heaven. God's coming down to us. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There's a new age coming. It's not a blind curve for us. We know it's just around the bend. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. most fascinating word in that list is the cowardly. And that's the one that I think we need to focus on here. Cowardly. Why? Because here's the thing. We are all Christians. We've now read portions of the back of the book. God is merciful and kind and forgiving, not counting men's trespasses against them. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of pardon. We have been given the ministry, according to 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of what? Reconciliation. To go and proclaim that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. For God made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. We have good news to proclaim. We have a gospel, and it's a real one. And all of these promises result on this last day of us seeing 
the heavenly Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Of the joy we will feel in our hearts. Of the tears that will stream from our eyes. Of the victory of our God. And we all know that we've done nothing to deserve this. It's all a gift. What great joy we will have. And so our gospel is one to tell all sinners, come rejoice with us. Be forgiven. Be reconciled. Be pardoned. The breach has been filled by Christ. He's bled and He's died for you. Repent and be forgiven. But the cowardly, the cowardly, they say, oh, don't worry. Things are okay with you and God. Just keep on as you're doing. God is love. Love is God. Love, 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 love. And they never tell them of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They assure them that all is well. Yet all is not well for the impenitent. The worst thing that can happen to a human being is not that they are they're fed to the lions or that they perish at sea. The worst thing that can happen to a human being is that God remembers their sins while forgetting their name. And for us, He remembers our name and forgets our sins. But they're not forgotten in this sense. That, oh, I just forget them. They're forgotten because Christ has bled and died for them. They're not your sins anymore. They're His. He's accounted for them. He's died for them. He's suffered for them. But you see, there's people on this planet, and we all know this, who are under the dominion of darkness. We were all there. And we all know that if we start talking like this, law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, we all know how that conversation might go. And so, what would we rather do? Well, i got to pay my bills. Right? There's no way I can become senior vice president or one of the partners in the law firm if I start talking like this. Can't be president of the United States and talk like this. Can't get elected to Congress and talk like this. I, I want to be upwardly mobile. There's a cost to talking like this. Yes, of course there is. Jesus was God in human flesh. This is how he talked. You think Jesus was going around handing out lollipops to people? We look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist is that character in the Bible where he seems like just a little bit unhinged. I mean, he's probably smelled. He was not wearing skinny jeans. And I don't see anyone out there selling the John the Baptist diet plan. But I guarantee you, you're going to lose weight on that one. Because you're not going to be eating those locusts. Locusts and wild honey, I don't care how much honey you put on a locust, I'm not eating it. 
right? And so what was he doing? He was spitting grasshopper legs at people, telling them to repent. What happened to him? He was beheaded. But see, men who despise and hate their own lives so much that they want to tell the truth of God reconciling the world to himself in Christ and calling men to repent. They hate their own lives and they would rather suffer death than not speak the truth. Because they know what reality is. And we know this about Noah. Noah, according to Peter, was a preacher of righteousness. Fascinating book. A little aside here. You've never read the book of Jasher. Fascinating book. Now, it's supposedly an oral tradition that kind of fills in some of the backstory to uh, some of the Old Testament stories. And what's funny is, is that Luther kind of figured out some of the backstory just by reading the biblical text because he didn't have the book of Jasher. And so when you read his Genesis commentary, the things he figures out about Noah just from the biblical text, that all, he, fill, he kind of fills in the backstory, and it's all there in the book of Jasher, which I find fascinating. And so here's the deal. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't married until he was in his 400s. Luther, writing about this, said, well, he probably despaired of how evil the world was and how wicked it was and didn't want to bring any children into the world. You know what the book of Jasher says? That Noah didn't want to get married because of how evil it was. He didn't want to bring kids in the world. And so you know who intervened? Luther writes, so God probably had to tell him to get married. The book of Jasher says, God told Noah to get married. Weird. So you know who he married, according to the book of Jasher? He married a woman almost 100 years older than himself. Who, uh, Yeah, talk about robbing the cradle. Okay. So he marries a woman almost 100 years older than himself who was the daughter of Enoch, the guy who was taken up to heaven. And when you put the numbers together, by the way, about, you know, Methuselah, the guy who lived the longest, do you know what year he died? The same year as the flood. And his son, who was the father of Noah, died pretty young. Jasher says that because it was because he wasn't all that faithful. And so according to the book of Jasher, Noah and Methuselah, the really old dude, they were together the preachers of righteousness, two of them. And they were telling the world to repent that the flood was coming. Is our message any different than Noah and Methuselah's message? Repent. The flood of God's wrath is coming. But He's built an ark. And the ark is Jesus. Come into the ark. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. Come into the ark. I love how the church fathers in describing the ark, they make a big deal about the fact that there's this door in the side of the ark. And they liken it to the pierced side of Christ. And in our baptisms, we're all tucked into his side. We have good news. Great news. And we know how the story ends. I assure you, you're going to see Jesus on the last day. All of the things written about him in the prophets and by the apostles, they're going to come true. He's returning in glory. We confess this in the creed. He's returning in glory to judge the living and that you're going to see his glory. Let me read a little bit more about the end of the book. 
Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in a spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates were the angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod, of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square its length, the same as, as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 1,200 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits. Twelve tribes multiplied by twelve apostles. Come up with this perfect number, this perfect cube which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was of pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophas, the eleventh jacinth, the twelve amethyst, the twelve gates, were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the city of and the and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. There goes the gold standard. Gold becomes asphalt, the thing on which the horses of the new kingdom will poop on. Love it. And I saw no temple in the city. No temple. No temple. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is going to be our lamp forever. No need for the sun or the moon. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And your name was written in the Lamb's book of life on the day when He buried you with Christ, raised you with Christ, circumcised your heart, and washed away your sins in the waters of your baptism. So then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him they will see His face. I want to see His face. 
and says, I will, so will you. When I was in those churches where all I heard was God's law, I knew for a fact that when I saw his face, he would only be angry at me. But my name is in the Lamb's book of life, and so is yours. He knows your name. You're not nameless. He's placed his name upon you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will see his face, and you will see all this glory. This is what is real. All of this is passing away. None of this is real. All of this is vanity. They will see His face. And His name will be on their forehead. Notice how the Antichrist put His mark on the people so they couldn't buy or sell unless they worshipped His image. But Jesus, He will put His name on our foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It says you're going to reign with the Lamb forever. World without end. No night, no evil, no sin, no sickness, no death, no mourning. Am I casting a compelling vision? This is the only vision that matters. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus said. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you. and Your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the city by the gates. You've washed your robes. And you've been made right. You've washed him in the blood of the Lamb. And you, to you, will be given the right to eat of the tree of life. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's this incomplete sentence there in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. 
It's as if God can't quite finish his thought. And the thought is, what if these, if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life? It's as if that's an unthinkable thought. For them to live eternally, forever, in this fallen state. Unthinkable. So what does God do? He puts cherubim, flaming swords. Well, maybe lightsaber, something like that. That one's for you, Jordan. To guard the way so that they wouldn't. But see, all along, the intention was for us to eat of the tree of life. This he had to go a different route. First, we have to go through death. And so Jesus' cross, that is where the tree of life is now. The tree of life is the cross. And we eat of the fruit of the tree of life every Sunday when we have the Lord's Supper. The fruit of the tree of that tree of life is His body and blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Broken, right? So we do right now have a foretaste of the feast to come and then in His kingdom when we see Him face to face, there again the tree of life shows up. And we have been given the right, notice, institution, a tree instituted by God for eternal life. And you can't go and take of this tree all on your own. He gives you the right. You are in Christ. Your robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So let me ask you this. Looking now at the end of the book, does this answer the question, how do you talk to your neighbor about their sin. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break and we come back. The balance of this lecture on Cora Mundo from last year's Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No, no itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Has it been a week already? Right, uh, package for you, ma'am. Just uh, sign there. Oh, dear. I was expecting something a bit larger. Is that all there is? Uh, afraid so, ma'am. Uh, sorry to disappoint. Oh, <laughs> no worries. I'm sure more will be on the way. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, have a good day, ma'am. I wonder what's in here. I do hope I haven't been ordering chips in my sleep again. Oh, it's a DVD! Oh, this had better not be another one of those Lectio Divina thingies. Hello! If you are watching this, it means that you have purchased the post-apocalyptic preparedness package. You have bought the... Bronze Edition. Bronze Edition? Please don't be alarmed, as your full order will be arriving within the next few weeks. Next few weeks?! The end of the world might have happened by then. I should have paid the extra $99.99 for the faster shipping. The purpose of this DVD is to catalog everything that you will be receiving in the... Bronze Edition. ...package, along with information on our other great offers. Looks like there are different chapters to select from. Let's see here. Toiletries, clothing, nourishment, shelter, sanitation, medicine, gardening, energy, communication, weaponry, underwater basket weaving... Okay, additional accessories, expansion packs, and ooh, play all. <laughs> I'll choose that one. As you know, God has given us signs in the sun, moon, and stars that the end times are approaching. After the destruction of your country, the everyday comforts you currently enjoy will have been disintegrated by God's judgment. By investing in our merchandise, you have proven to God that you have audacious faith in his prophets, seers, and visionaries. Now we're ready to dive into the crucial survival equipment you have purchased. Well, I'm certainly glad that God knows I'm faithful. No doom and gloom for me. You have purchased the... Bronze Edition. Please pay attention to which items you will be receiving. I have my new pad ready. Part 1. Toiletries. In the Bronze Edition, your toilet paper will be made from the finest scratchy banana leaves and corrugated tree bark. Toilet paper made from scratchy banana leaves and... Wait, what? In the Silver Edition, your toilet paper will be made from all-natural, organic, recycled plastic. In the Gold Edition, your toilet paper will be made from hand-quilted spider silk. This can't be right! In the Bronze Edition, you will receive a block of wood with bristles and a baking soda solution for maintaining healthy teeth and gums. Here's a pro tip. You can use your own hair as dental floss. Yeah! In the Silver Edition, you will receive... Oh my! I sat on the remote! It's fast-forwarding! Um, uh, where's that darn play button? Oh, oh, wait, there it is. Part 5. Nourishment. In the Bronze Edition, you will receive 24 cans, each containing one month's supply of beans. As a nifty space saver, the cans are first filled with fresh river water, then topped off with dehydrated beans. This way, you'll have your food and water in the same convenient package. Strainers and can openers will not be included. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. What? How is that even fair? Gold Edition buyers will be given 50 crates of freeze-dried astronaut dinners. Flavors include chicken corn on blue, lobster surprise, filet mignon, oysters, caviar, and steak. Cheese platters will be served on the side of every dish. Water will come in glass bottles along with a complimentary water fountain with color-changing LEDs. This is ridiculous! I can't believe I wasted my cat's life insurance on this! Wait, what else is in this stupid thing? 
Gold Edition shelters have been constructed by our teams ahead of time for you. You will be getting your maps and keys to access your top secret bunker in the coming weeks. Complimentary bouncy castles and jacuzzis can be found next to the theater room behind the bowling alley. In the Silver Edition, you will get him and her matching gardening gloves. For prosperous crops, this edition includes an inflatable radiation-proof greenhouse. Part 33, Communication. Now pay attention, bronze buyers. Using two of your Space Saver nourishment cans, you can attach this six-foot string to each side to make an electricity-free telephone. As a special promotion, we will also be giving out 12-foot strings for long-distance calls. Gold Edition weaponry includes six holy hand grenades, one hideaway moat, and... I can't believe this! They didn't say anything about different editions on the website. How, how do I upgrade? I can't survive with any of the useless junk they're sending me. What are the shams of these sleazeballs running? I could have sworn she said something about expansion packs. Additional accessories, such as a Holy Ghost decoder ring or a church box CD, can be purchased individually for $24.99 each. Please wait for our full accessory list. Ah! I don't want to hear any more of this rubbish! Part 104. Expansion Packs. Our hottest item is the Mr. Sparkle Party Pack. This little number comes with four sparkle suits, one disco ball, seizure-inducing strobe lights, and confetti poppers. It's fun for the whole family! I want my money back! This is an absolute outrage! I can't believe I fell for this ruse! This concludes our DVD presentation. If you have any questions, please call the number not located at the bottom of your screen. And remember that all payments are non-refundable and non-negotiable. Thank you, and have a wonderful apocalypse. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. 
click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that there's a such thing as true doctrine and false doctrine, and that the two matter, because the Bible says so. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts and financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world, and you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. There are four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of last year's lecture on Coromundo from the uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Here we go. Let me read another passage of Scripture. We are into eschatological truth-telling. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's see if this talks about eschatological truth-telling. And then we'll look at Paul. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance, certainty of things hoped for. See that? It's right there. It's eschatological. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The certainty of things not seen. I've told you what's coming around the corner. It's a blind curve for everybody else, but we know exactly what's coming. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There goes evolution. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Oh man, righteousness by grace through faith goes all the way back that far? That's what this text says. That means there's no dispensationalism. Everybody from all the way back in the Garden of Eden to the last person who draws their breath on the last day are saved by grace through faith in the promises of God. Abel was commended as righteous by faith. That's why he gave the sacrifice he gave. He gave it in faith. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Oh, he knew what it was to suffer for his faith. 
even suffer unto death. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There's Noah again. He knew what was coming. He believed God. And that belief caused him to make an ark. And that ark condemned the world. He was a preacher of righteousness. Did Noah have a mega church? I'm sure if Noah were willing to give up on all this flood stuff and just stop building that ark, he could have had a huge church. We don't like hearing about this wrath of God stuff, do we? But he believed God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham wasn't looking for a, well, an inheritance as a temporal place in a little tiny strip of land out there in the Middle East. It says here he was looking for that same city that we just read about. That's what he was looking for by faith. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Are you any less a stranger or exile than Abraham and Sarah? No, we're all. Strangers and exiles. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Eschatological Pope. Eschatological truth-tellers eschatological preachers. They're all looking forward to a city whose builder is God, and so are you. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. 
By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid. By faith, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Why did the nations rage? The people's plot in vain against the Holy One of God. But He has been enthroned on Mount Zion. All the nations are going to bow before Him. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Did you hear that? Moses considered the reproach of who? Christ. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. When the disciples were first beaten by the synagogue rulers and the, the, the church officials of Israel, right? They went home going, Woohoo! We've been found worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Only somebody who's looking for a city whose builder is God can rejoice in such shame and consider it to be wealth. By faith, he left Egypt, not afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. They had no faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Oh, the mercy of Christ even extends to the lowliest of sinners. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. And before you think, by the way, this is the normal way in which Christians operate. The text continues. Became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And here's the turning point. And some were tortured. Yes! Right on! Woohoo! Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. Amen! Right? Notice that the suffered mocking and flogging is in the same list as conquered kingdoms. suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Christ 
Christ has bled and died for you, it changes everything. Our suffering, our shame, our mocking is our glory because it's Christ's. This is the mystery of filling up in us the sufferings of Jesus. Christ has not done suffering. He's going to suffer through you. Do you welcome it? Don't go seeking it. The church fathers, when they would write about this, would say, don't go seeking it. Christ will choose those who he deems worthy to suffer this type of martyrdom and persecution. Stand, preach, proclaim, speak the truth. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted. Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, all of them, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, we're all going to be made perfect together with Abraham, Moses, David, Rahab, all of the patriarchs, all of the martyrs, all of the Christians of all times. We're all going into this together. What's around the corner? It's not a blind curve. We know what's coming. A city whose builder is God. So how do you speak the truth? Don't look at what's happening here. Keep your eyes on the city to come. It's yours by faith. It's a gift. See the things the way God sees them. Suffering shame among the world is glory in the kingdom of God. Where was Christ coronated? Was it in the heavenly kingdom? Where was his coronation ceremony? It was on the cross. The day of his coronation was the day of his death. And there was our king, crown of thorns, not a crown of gold, not wearing a robe, stark naked, bleeding and dying. And that is his shame to the world. That's why it's a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Greeks. But to us, glory of God. How do you speak the truth to your neighbor? Dead in trespasses and sins? Believe. Believe that you're forgiven. Believe that you have the words of God. Believe that what His Word says about sin is true. Believe that Christ's death on the cross atones for those sins. Believe that there's true pardon and grace. Believe that faith comes by hearing and by hearing by the Word of Christ. Go and preach. And that command, go and make disciples as you are going, in your vocation, husband, father, mother, child, employee, 
as you are going about your vocations and people ask you about the hope that you have within you. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about their sin. Tell them what He has done for them. Call them to repent. Be forgiven. Don't change the message. Paul never changed the message. I don't have time to get to it because I've kind of waxed eloquent here. But go and read what Paul preached at Pisidia Antioch, Acts chapter 13. Watch what he did there. He preaches Christ, the Messiah, the, the promised one. He gives a wonderful summary of the Old Testament promises of the Messiah. It says that Jesus is Him, tells them that in Him is the forgiveness of sins, and He doesn't have an altar call. You know what He does? He ends with, and don't let what was written in the prophet Isaiah be true about you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. You want to learn how to preach. You want to learn how to proclaim. Stop trying to please people's ears. Stop trying to worry about whether or not they're going to get upset. It happens. Paul preached the word. Some of them believed. Others were jealous. And he ended up having to slink out of town. And you know what he did? He kept preaching the same thing. He never changed the message. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do when people would not receive them? Okay, rethink your strategy. Okay, Jesus is talking to say, what I want you guys, when you go to a town, if they don't listen to you, huddle back up, rethink your strategy, cast a different vision, and kind of make the, you know, do a sociological survey to figure out what the people want to hear, and then tell them that, and then kind of sneak in the gospel when you get an opportunity. That's not what he said. When they don't listen to you, take the dust off your feet, Sign against them and move along. Let me read a little bit of Jesus here. I'll end with these words. Jesus was a preacher of repentance. Mark makes this clear. Matthew makes this clear. He, he preached the same message as John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Of course, by way of the virtue of the fact that he's the king, truly it was at hand. But you know what Jesus had a tendency to do to those who persisted in sin and unbelief? He let them know it. Matthew 23. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, and so do and observe whatever they tell you. Talking about authority, not power, right? Do not do their works, though. They, do not, they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. Lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their placataries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You're all brothers. Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest shall among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know what Jesus just did there? He just called out the Pharisees and the scribes and named their sin and their false religion and just said it's nonsense. It doesn't count. It's garbage. He did it in public. 
What does Luther say in the Heidelberg Disputation about a theologian of the cross? A theologian of the cross calls a thing what it is. Jesus called a thing what it is. It was all nonsense. And then he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice a child of hell as yourselves. There goes precious moments, Jesus. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound to his oath. You blind fools! Now he's a name caller. For which is greater, the gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, he goes on. And the words of the Apostle Paul come to mind. Pastor must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and rebuke those contradicted. Did Jesus sin in calling out woes on the Pharisees? Of course not. Was what he did unloving and unkind? Not at all. A theologian of the cross, and oh, Jesus went to the cross for this, calls a thing what it is. And he rebukes false teachers, calls it what it is. We have fallen for the lie of the postmodern world of political correctness, that everybody has a right, apparently God-given, to never be offended. How dare you offend me? How dare you? I have a right to not hear your words because you're offending me. We have a right to to throw you out and do all kinds of things to you because you've offended people. How dare you say that God says the marriage is between a man and a woman for the purpose of procreation? What kind of backwards bumpkin do you think you are? Get with the times. It's the most unloving thing. You probably, if you had lived in the 60s, you would have wanted black people to be segregated, wouldn't you? Well, they're saying, isn't it? So how do you speak in a Christian way? God says, repent, be forgiven. Woe to you if you don't. Persist in your sin and your false religion and unbelief, and we're going to call it out. We're going to name it. We're going to offend people. 
not because we're trying to be offensive. This isn't offense for the sake of offense. This is offense for the sake of the truth so that some will hear and be brought to penitent faith in Christ. I can't even begin to tell you how many emails over the past seven years I have received from people that begin with words something like this. I used to think you were the biggest jerk in the whole wide world. I could not stand listening to your program because of how snarky you are. I don't like the way you said things. What you said offended me. How dare you say that T.D. Jakes is a false teacher? How dare you? And then you said, don't listen with an open mind, listen with an open Bible. So I opened up my Bible to prove you wrong. And now I'm a confessional Lutheran. Speak the truth. There is no way to do it that I can say, that I can think of, that I can guarantee that people will not get upset. I can't. Christ has promised us that we get to participate in His sufferings because He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Some are going to be offended by the message. Some, God is going to regenerate and bring to penitent faith in Christ and they will be with you on the day when Jesus returns when we see that wonderful city coming out of the clouds. And we're with Him forever. And others foolishly will perish in the second death. Why is it foolish? Because Christ has bled and died for them too. But they persisted in sin and unbelief. So preaching the gospel is a dicey business. It can get you in a lot of trouble. Keep your eye on the end. This is an eschatological truth-telling. And Hebrews 11 makes it clear that all of the saints that preceded us, the one who conquered kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions, and were sawn in two, the one thing that they all had in common is they were looking for that kingdom, that city whose builder is God. And you already possess it. You are in Christ, given it to you as a gift by grace through faith because of His Son whose bled and died for you whose blood is the very thing that we dip our robes into, and they are made white. What a great gift we have in Christ. Keep your eyes on the end. The hope that you have, you'll always be able to preach. Never shirk back and be cowardly. Even if it costs you your job, friendships, your family, your wife, your husband, children, job, your life. In the name of Jesus, amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>